Last week, as I told you, the main message of the book of Daniel was that God is in control no matter how messed up the world is, that the establishment of the kingdom of Christ is God's main priority, and that believers are called to live for the glory of God as exiles in this world. Again, in chapter 1, we saw Daniel's covenant love for God sustained him as he was engaged in his three-year training program. Chapter 2 begins in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, the early years of Nebuchadnezzar's conquest for world domination were very active. Nebuchadnezzar's army traveled westward, defeating the Assyrian Empire, and then traveled southward to conquer the Egyptians and gobbling up every country in between, which of course included the southern kingdom of Israel. The Babylonian army marched into Jerusalem, carrying off thousands of exiles, forcing them to walk across the desert to live as exiles in Babylon. So, many of God's people found themselves in a foreign land, and all around them were the Babylonians, speaking a strange language, engaging in strange customs, and worshiping strange gods. Now, this reference to the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign is probably referring to the second year after his conquest was complete. By this time, Daniel and his friends would have completed their intensive training program and would have been serving in Nebuchadnezzar's, as Nebuchadnezzar's personal service for many years. We see that these days, though, these days of leisure after his conquest, well, Nebuchadnezzar, things weren't going very well for him. Instead of enjoying peaceful nights in the beautiful city of Babylon, the king could not sleep because he was haunted by this reoccurring dream. So the king summons the, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now notice that Nebuchadnezzar summons four types of wisdom professionals. Magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Now, this foursome of wise men were openly accepted throughout the Babylonian Empire. Fortune tellers, predicting the future, wizards, casting spells, magicians, using herbs, and astrologers, looking to the stars for guidance, were all accepted as sources of wisdom insights, and revelations. Nebuchadnezzar, well, he called this whole circus together so that they hear them tell him his dream and its interpretation so he could get back to enjoying the kingdom. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar called these wise men together, it seems that he had more wisdom than what they did because he demanded them to tell him his dream, as well as the details of the dreams, the interpretation. See, Nebuchadnezzar was wise enough to know that if he told them the details of the dream, then they could make up any interpretation they wanted to. 
See, the Babylonians, they had a massive amount of what was called dream books, written by experts in interpreting every kind of dream. And, but these resources would have been of no use to them if they didn't know the details of the dream. So, Nebuchadnezzar also knew that these, these wise men were master manipulators. And he wanted to keep them honest. Nebuchadnezzar, he doubles down on the pressure on these wise men, promising them great reward to anyone who could tell him his dream and interpret it. But he also promised a torturous death to all of them if no one could tell him his dream and what it meant. So after long negotiations trying to persuade Nebuchadnezzar, to tell them the details of the dream, the wise men insisted that there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. And then they imply that Nebuchadnezzar is being unjust because there has never been a king, no matter how great or mighty, who has ever asked his wise men to answer such a thing. And on top of that, they insert they assert that the gods are of no help with this because the gods don't live amongst humans what a sad religion where god doesn't live amongst people well this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of babylon so he decreed, he, so the decree was issued to put to death the wise men, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his three friends to put them to death. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar's commander gathered all the wise men of Babylon together for execution, Daniel asked the guard why the king's decree was so harsh. Now remember, Daniel and his three friends are going to be victims of this execution as well. And the officer explained to Daniel the circumstances behind his orders to execute all the wise men of Babylon. And immediately, Daniel goes into the king and requests time so that he would interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar grants Daniel's request. The man Daniel stands as a mediator between Nebuchadnezzar and all the wise men. This is a perfect picture of the gospel. The king orders the execution of notorious manipulators and spiritual fakes, just like you and I. And God appoints a mediator to step in to save them from death. Now, with his request granted and precious time clicking away, Daniel gathers his three friends, tells them what's about to happen, and they begin to pray for God's mercy and grace. Brothers and sisters, prayer is a key as we live as exiles in a strange land. We don't know what words they prayed that night, but I think they prayed a prayer like this, we don't know what to do, 
but our eyes are on you. Sometimes the humble acknowledgement of our insufficiencies in prayer is the best prayer of all. Like the hymn writer wrote, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress, helpless to look to thee for grace. And behold, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden wisdom. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I have asked you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now Daniel's words of adoration and praise to God, well, it tells us a lot about his theology as living as an exile. Remember, Daniel had been trained in all the wisdom of the Babylonians, and he was ten times better than all these wise men. And he was extremely familiar with all their tactics and their so-called theology. But all this learning didn't change Daniel's faith in God and his reliance upon God's word. Daniel firmly believed that God is in control of world history. So he praises God stating he changes times and season and he deposes kings and raises up others. Daniel believed that God reveals his purposes. So he prays. He reveals deep and hidden things and knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And lastly, Daniel believed that God gives gifts to his people to bring glory to himself. He gives wisdom, Daniel says, to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Daniel thanks God for giving him the gifts of wisdom, power, and knowledge to know Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He states, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Brothers and sisters, we cannot allow this world to invade our theology. We cannot allow this world to persuade our belief in God. As the Apostle Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and elementary spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Christ and his kingdom has to be at the core of our theology. As we live in Babylon, strangers in a strange land, we must stay true to God's word, we must stay firm in our faith, and we must tell the world what God's word and will is. 
Now that Daniel knows the dream and its interpretation, he ran, runs quickly to the officer and says, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. When Daniel comes before King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar asks, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replies, No wise man, enchanter, musician, uh, musician, ma- magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel makes it clear that the messenger of this dream and its interpretation is God. Nebuchadnezzar, can you tell me what I saw and explain it? And Daniel says, no, I can't. But God can. I want you to see that Daniel explains that God is the one who is causing Nebuchadnezzar to have this reoccurring, haunting dream. Daniel says in verse 28, For he, that is God, has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar. And again in verse 45, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. Now remember, this is the man who had deported, deported Daniel and his three friends from their country. This is the man who had destroyed Jerusalem. This is the man who had desecrated the temple. How in the world could God be talking to a man like that? Now Daniel could have felt resentment towards Nebuchadnezzar. But instead of sulking, Daniel praises God for making himself known to the pagan king. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to succeed as exiles in a strange land, we better put trust in the Holy Spirit to speak to our unchristian friends, family members, employers, and associates. Instead of thinking, well, that person is gone way too far, we need to have faith believing that God is going to speak to the worst among us and that his word will not return void. Amen? Daniel says, As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to the things to come, and the revealer of of, of mysteries showed you what was to happen. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me, not be, has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Daniel makes clear that he is no greater than any other man. But God had chosen him to be the instrument of grace to explain the word of God to him. Our role as exiles, as we live in a society where morality and spirituality are vastly different from what we see and find in God's word, 
We find in this society many people that lack understanding about God's Word, have no comprehension of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they certainly don't embrace the Christian world and life view. The world looks upon us as weirdos, but we must accept that God has placed us in our Babylon to be instruments of His grace and to explain the Word of God to people. We cannot squander the opportunities that God has given to us with friends, family members, employers, and associates that know nothing of the Word of God, and we sit on a treasure of wealth of knowledge. We must accept our role as instruments of grace, explaining the Word of God to people. And here we see that Daniel explains that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw a single statue, which was large, extraordinarily remarkable, and awesome in appearance. It had, uh, the statue had a head of pure gold, its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs were of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Then we see that Daniel reveals the mystery of this great statue. He begins by telling Nebuchadnezzar that the Babylonian Empire was the head of gold. Daniel continues telling Nebuchadnezzar that after him will arise another kingdom, and even though this kingdom will be inferior to Babylonia, it will rise and it will take over the earth. Now scholars agree that the kingdom of silver was the Persian Empire. We see then there will be a third kingdom, that is the kingdom of bronze, that will rule over the earth. This is the Greek Empire. And then there was a fourth kingdom, will be as strong as iron, and will shatter all the other kingdoms. And scholars agree that this kingdom of iron is the Roman Empire. Then there will be the divided nation made partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, these nations will not adhere to one another as iron does not adhere with clay. And scholars, they differ to exactly who, if you would, this last empire is. But let me just say, it is very safe to conclude that these are the nations of the world since the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the divided nations. This is the dream that, Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar saw. But the dream isn't over. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that as he continued to look upon this great single statue with its extraordinary splendor and its extreme appearance, and it, the scene then changes to a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it strikes like a meteor out of heaven, 
crushes the feet of iron and clay, causing the statue to collapse into a pile of rubble. The wind blows all the dust particles away so that there is not a trace of it found. The stone becomes a great mountain that fills the earth. This is the establishment of the kingdom of Christ at Jesus' second coming when the earth as we know it passes away and the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now, so many Christians are obsessed about trying to identify the clay feet, trying to tell us exactly which one are the ten toes. This one went to the market. This one went to the store. Obsession over trying to find anywhere in the Bible where it uses the number ten and how that might be the ten toes. They are so obsessed with the toes of the statue that they miss the main point of the dream. And that is that God has sent a meteor from heaven in the person of his son, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Amen? Christ's first coming, his life, death, and resurrection can be described, described in no better way than an explosion upon earth. An explosion upon the world stage. The only thing you have to be is a freshman of world history and you will come to the conclusion that everything changed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world was never the same again. And we live amongst a world of divided nations, sometimes showing strength and sometimes just crumbling like clay. There's no other event in world history that has caused change in the world for more than two millenniums than the coming of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. No other event in the world has caused... Every politician is going to promise you hope and change. Every politician does. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States or you're in Puerto Rico or you're in Venezuela. It doesn't matter where you are. Every politician says things are going to change with me. <laughs> you want to see real change? You just look at the pages of world history and see the changes of the world that have happened since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Women have been liberated. People have earned wages. People have thrived to support their own families. We see the world has changed in so many ways because of the coming of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. I'm sorry, I got a little excited. Now, Christ was born in a lonely manger, but through his humble obedience to the Father, he has been highly exalted so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on, on, in heaven and on earth and under earth. This is the mystery revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, 
that God orchestrates the rise and falls of kingdoms, empires, and nations, so to usher in the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen? As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the Lord brings princesses to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner than they are planted, no sooner that they have sown, no sooner that they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither and the whirlwind sweeps them away like shaft. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God identifies four empires. First Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and then finally we come to the, dividing, the divided nations. God is describing to Nebuchadnezzar world history from his day to the modern day. But it is the kingdom of Christ visualized in this, this rock, this, this meteor out of heaven, cut without human hands, that will crush all these earthly kingdoms and will take center stage. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, in those days God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Praise be to his holy name. God's focus is on the rise of the kingdom of Christ and not on the rise of Israel. The establishment of the kingdom of God has always been God's number one priority. Israel was just a means to accomplish God's redemptive purposes through Christ. And as I told you last week, that even though the Bible is in concert with world history, the main objective of Scripture is to record history as it relates to the redemptive purposes of God. And clearly, God's dream to Nebuchadnezzar shows that the establishment of the kingdom of Christ is God's number one priority. The dream shows that God orchestrates the rise and falls of kingdoms, empires, and nations, all that just to usher in the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, where we will reign with Him forever and ever. If believers are going to live for the glory of God as exiles in a strange land, we must have faith knowing that even though the nations are in uproar and people devise vain things and kings take their stand against our Lord and His anointed, we must know for certain that God has installed His King in Zion. His holy mountain and His kingdom will have no end. As the world seems to be in chaos the, and the divided nations are fighting amongst one another, the people of God, we giggle. <laughs> Knowing that the end will eventually come when Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will deliver up all the kingdoms of this world to the God and Father. At that time... Christ will abolish all rule, all authority, all power, and He will reign. Amen? As we sit in exile here, we must know that this world is not our home. And the nations of this world do not control our destiny. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come from heaven and to establish his kingdom. As we wait for Christ's return, our desire must be for a better country. That is a heavenly one. We must have faith to live as aliens in a foreign land looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. Amen? As we live in exile, we must be looking to the new heavens and the new earth. We must be looking for that holy city coming down out of heaven where God dwells amongst his people. As Christians, even though we live in our Babylon, we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. And we know that one day, we will dwell with Christ in his eternal kingdom forever and ever. Now, after Nebuchadnezzar heard the dream and its interpretation, he fell on his face and said, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. And he promoted Daniel over all of Babylon and his three friends as administrators over the entire providence. These promotions made Daniel and his three friends overseers of the golden government of Babylon. But their allegiance was to the rock coming from heaven. Daniel chapter 2 gives us great insights in how to live as exiles in a strange land. Let me just review them. One, prayer is essential as we seek to discover God's word and will as we live in exile. Two, we must see to it that we are not taken captive by hollow philosophies and human religions. We must stay true to God's word, stand firm in our faith, and tell the world what the word of God is all about. And as we do, we must trust the Holy Spirit to speak to our our non-Christian friends, families, employers, and associates, believing that God's word will not return void. We must not squander the opportunities that God has given us to be instruments of his grace and explain the word of God to the Babylonians that live amongst us. And as we sit in exile here, we must know that this world is not our home and the nations of this world do not control our destiny. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for our Savior to come from heaven to establish his kingdom on earth. Daniel and his friends knew what story they lived in. They were living as exiles in Babylon, one of the world's greatest empires, but living in Babylon did not define them. They believed that their citizenship was in heaven, in the kingdom of Christ. And even though they sat in Babylon, they knew that through Christ, one yet to come will, will raise them up and seat them with him in heavenly places. So I want to ask you today, what story are you living in? Are you living in the story of this world or the story of the kingdom of Christ? 
If you're living in the story of this world, you are doomed to crumble. The statues of your life are feet of clay that will not last the test of time. So my challenge to you today is to make the kingdom of Christ your story this morning so that you will live in his kingdom forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you thanking you for this chapter in the Bible. Lord, we come to you acknowledging that we are professional manipulators and spiritual fakes. And we come to you today thanking you for your grace and mercy extended to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that you would rule and reign in my heart this morning. I pray that my life would be a reflection of the fact that I live in the kingdom of Christ, that my citizenship is in heaven. And even though now I dwell in this, my Babylon, my heart and soul, my allegiance is to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And to him we sing praises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.